welcome to the SLP Full Disclosure Podcast. Tune in for each episode to hear from experts in the field about new and informative topics in the world of speech language pathology. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a guest. And let's jump into this episode. Hello and welcome to SLP Full Disclosure. I am your host, Jennifer Martin, and in joining me is, I, I hate to keep saying amazing because I feel like this is going to your head, but I'll do it one more time. Amazing <laughs> producer and sidekick, Jonathan Carey. Hello. I'll have to savor this moment for the last time I'm called amazing. <laughs> <laughs> just soak it in. Um you might say I have friends behind me. It's, you know, we all are suffering during this pandemic of not having as much social interaction. And that includes my dear dog here. So <laughs> I have a dog play date happening right now. Mm. Yeah. So you may hear some strange noises and usually they're me that I can blame those on, but now I can blame it on the dog. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, so how was your weekend, Jonathan? It was pretty, pretty great. Finally, feels like spring slash summer here in Colorado with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, nice 70 degree, 70 degree temperatures and no snow. So <laughs> yeah, enjoy it's, it. it's amazing. Yeah, it was so, so lovely. And I'm just curious, which I know you get nervous every time I start a sentence <laughs> with that phrase. Okay, at what point do you stop thinking about the weekend and start thinking about the next week? Um, what do you like, mean? Like, like Sunday when morning? Like when do you start oh, thinking right. like, oh, I have a job. I have things I have to do next week. Oh, when um, is that cut off for you? Normally Monday, 8 a.m. So <laughs> seriously, you don't, you don't, it just doesn't even dawn on you. For the most part, I really don't think about it because I'm, my weekends are so busy with like, cycling or hiking and stuff Mm -hmm. to where and I'm just like whenever I get back I'm like really tired and like cooking watching movies things like that and so like the last thing I'm thinking about is work (laughs) so okay I need to adopt your principle because I feel like mine starts like midday Sunday when I'm start Mm. but I think too part of mine is that I have to get other people ready for the week so therefore I'm forced to think uh, about it because I'm like, oh, well, who's driving this? Who's doing this? And so I am, my family forces me to think about it before <laughs> I'm ready. So so you're but, blaming your family for your problems. Everything, all the time. <laughs> and none of them listen to this podcast, so I, I can say whatever. <laughs> Other well, than my mom, mom. Our, I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it was a few episodes ago where you're saying how, um, who was it? Allison and Iris mm-hmm. were your two favorite people, you know, yeah. so I'm glad, yeah. glad your family didn't listen to that one. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if they started listening to the podcast, they'd learn a little bit more about my true feelings, right? Well, or maybe they would become your favorite people. Maybe so. they would. Yes, exactly. There's a couple of things. But either way, right now, I'll just, Mom, I know I got you. <laughs> Number one fan. <laughs> <laughs> So before I talk about who our guest is today, just again, another reminder, go to Instagram, SLP Full Disclosure, and um, like, smash that like button. Is that? 
not on Instagram. <laughs> That's YouTube. <laughs> Take two. I know. But I just feel I just free to, to follow us on Instagram to yep. see uh, highlights and some behind the scenes uh, things. So, mm-hmm. but uh, subscribe and smash the like button on YouTube. There you go. I know you. I knew one of them had that magic button. So, um, but yeah, please do. We love again. My favorite part of doing this is meeting you all and interacting with the community so please go and and uh check it out and we'll we'll be again having some things coming up where we'll want more input from you all or to get questions and really tailor what it is you all find helpful so all right now I want to talk about who we have today. I know there's a little tail wagon. Somebody else behind me is excited about our guest today also. <laughs> so, Charlie's always excited about she, every guest, I know. So. She's always excited. She's just high on life. So I'm really excited to speak with our guest today. Today we have Rosemarie Griffin, and she is not only an ASHA certified speech language pathologist, but also a board certified behavior analyst and product developer. So two things there that I cannot personally say for myself. (laughs) She divides her time between a public school and her own private practice called ABA Speech. She is passionate about helping individuals with autism find their voice and become more independent communicators. This passion has driven her to create her own business, again, ABA Speech, where she provides ASHA-approved courses, the Autism Outreach Podcast, therapy materials, and free resources for parents and professionals alike. So we are so happy to welcome Rosemarie to the podcast. So welcome, Rose Griffin. We're so happy to have you on the podcast today. I'm excited to be here, Jennifer. Okay, now before we get started, I have to address something, which if you are listening, go to the YouTube and watch you have a harp. Oh, I do. Behind yes. you. What is this? What <laughs> yeah. is the harp about? Because I've never seen yes. this in anybody's background before. You know, it's really funny. When I started my business three years, almost four years ago, I had a card table. And so it was totally in a different part of my office. I actually leveled up this year, got a real desk. And so now my backdrop is the harp, you know, and my products. And so I'm excited about that. I didn't even think about it, but I, I used to play the harp. Yeah, I, I grew up in a public school in Akron, Ohio, uh, where LeBron James is from as well. And oh, I just, cool. I went to a grade school and my music teacher was a harpist. So I played for weddings and until I had too many kids and I can't schedule things out in advance. And so now my daughter plays, but yeah, thank you so much for mentioning that. I'm excited to have it. <laughs> that is, you are the only person I've ever met that actually plays the harp. It's like, I know people play, right? but I don't know anybody that does. So I think that's... It's not an instrument that you hear about all the time, people picking up when they're in school. My random talent. Yes. <laughs> I love that though. That's Thank cool. You. Thank you. I have no musical. I, I was a piano school dropout. So oh. I am so wish that I would have never done that. But of course, in seventh grade, it was like, I just can't oh. be bothered to practice. So I'm, That's hard. I'm very yeah. impressed that you stuck with it. Thank you. And now my daughter, my oldest daughter, who is 10, takes lessons. So we're super excited about that. And it was always fun to play weddings and events. And I like, I like an event. I like to get dressed up and be part of it. So it was really, it was a cool experience growing up. 
Very cool. The most unique side hustle I've heard. Yes, there you go. One of many. Yes. Thank you. Love that. Well, awesome. Okay. Well, I just had to, I was like, I must ask about this, but, but now we could get to get started. Um, so I always love to just hear from our, um, guests in the beginning, what led you down this road to this profession in the first place? And how did you even get interested in being a speech pathologist? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. And it's, it's pretty funny answer. I think my senior year of high school, my mom, both my parents are retired teachers and my mom was teaching a career course in her high school. And I took a career test. And one of the answers was speech therapist based on my interests. And I had no idea what a speech therapist was. Uh, I didn't have speech therapy. Nobody in my family received services. And so what I did, we had a family friend who was a speech therapist. And so I shadowed her at work, her and her boss. And we did a school visit. We worked in a home health situation with somebody who I think who had had a stroke. And then we also went to a nursing home. And it was after that first observation that I was like, this is perfect for me. I love it because it's science-based, but there's no math involved, which was not my strong suit. And so that whacked out a lot of different professions that I could have done in the science field. And I thought, wow, you get to help people. And this is really just so amazing for people's overall independence of their communication and their overall just happiness and joy. And so that was almost 20 years ago that I've been um, certified as a speech therapist. And I really, I really just still love it. I love the field. I love helping others. And it's always fun to connect with, um, you know, other people in the field. So that's kind of my story, how I got started. I love that. It's so funny because I wonder if there's some Asha or somebody's in cahoots with some of these career that what you should be test because I have run into more people that got into this field because uh, one of those uh, tests said you'd be really good at this and then they that pique their interest so it's always so funny to hear that yeah yeah that's how I got my start and then I just I declared my major and that was it never took a wasted class and just you know kept on yeah and that's so unique I I did the same thing I just heard about it, went into it, and then never deviated. I kept mm-hmm. thinking, well, I'm sure I'll find something that I will make me want to steer in it, but never, never did. I don't know. It's yeah. just stayed the course. So yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And you are very unique in that you have two specializations. Um, not only are you an SLP, but you're also a BCBA. And that is such a unique I feel like I'm seeing more of that now, but it's Mm -hmm. still, I mean, those are two really difficult certifications and courses of study to, so to do one, much less two. Um, How did that come to be? What, what encouraged you to also add BCBA to your resume. Yeah. And you know, it is. And at this point now it is, there's less than 450 of us, uh, that are duly certified. So we call ourselves unicorns. That's kind of some (laughs) little slang term that we all kind of use. Um, and it's such a neat way to be able to help my clients. It kind of actually started in my in graduate school, I had a, we call it our student teaching experience here in Ohio, where I went to graduate school at Kent State. And I had a speech therapist who had a lot of students with pretty severe autism on her caseload in a public school program. And I just loved working with all the students, just like I do now, you know, I'm a school-based therapist too. So I see all different types of students, but I really 
really loved working with all the students who had autism, who were either nonverbal emerging communicators. Some of the students engaged in problem behavior that was a barrier to their learning. And I really, really loved working um, with students like that. And then once I became, my CFY year was actually in a regular public school. And then that public school had this major financial crisis. So I knew during my CFY year, as stressful as that was, that my job the next year was going to be completely eliminated because of this financial crisis. And so I went on to take a position with something called the Learner School, which is part of the Cleveland Clinic. And it was a non-public program for students with more significant needs. Um, Most of the students were, were autistic. And so that is where I really started to feel passionate about helping students who were hard to help. So that's always just kind of been my jam. And every single place I've ever worked, um, I let that be known because I, you know, I advocate, I disseminate, and I let people know that, that I'm really excited about helping students who maybe have never been able to communicate um, besides using you know, behave their behavior across their day. And so um, there was one student who really kind of um, was an aha moment for me wasn't even my student. It was my colleague's student, but we all kind of shared a speech therapy office. And this particular student was 18 years old. He had transitioned to this non-public program from a public school, and he had no way to communicate besides engaging in unsafe problem behavior. And I felt so sad for this student. Um, and then I felt really angry because nobody was able to help him for over 18 years. And my friend um, and colleague was able to uh, use a tech speak, which is, I don't even know if that's still a device, but it was a static device. And he would press buttons and ask for taking a walk and things that he wanted and um, all those great things. And at 18, he was able to communicate. And so we did use applied behavior analysis, the science of applied behavior analysis at that time. That's where I first kind of learned about what a BCBA is. And so it was at that moment that I always said, oh, I want to just learn as much as I can about applied behavior analysis and how I can use the science to help students increase their communication skills and oftentimes just start communicating at the, for the first time. And so that's really set me on this journey of my whole entire career of being able to help people understand that some students are hard to help and some students we're going to have to think outside of the box and learn new things to be able to help them. And so that's really kind of what lit a fire um, under me to make sure that I wanted to learn as much as I could about that. And so that next step really was to take courses, do my supervision. There's all these things you have to do, pass another exam. Um, And then I became duly certified about 10 years ago. So, so yeah, that's kind of my story. I love that. That is it makes such sense how it's almost like all the stars aligned Mm -hmm. for you to, and I I think you make such an important point that I am always learning. And, And the more I talk to people, I realize how important it is, is that sometimes as speech pathologists, we want to go right to speech and language. Mm -hmm. And we sometimes forget, and I have been, I've done this more times than I can count. We forget that, there's sometimes other things we have to address before we can go straight to the speech mm-hmm. and the language, because if they're not available to learn, um, or, and like you said, behaviors are a way of communicating. They're telling, the, the right. student is telling us things via their behavior. Right. And I think before we go right into, we're going to work on comprehension, mm-hmm. if we don't have a solid behavior plan and have that foundation, it's really hard to address some of those other goals. 
Yeah. And I think the first step is just really building a rapport with our students. I know that like, no matter what setting we work in, either private or public, we have IEPs, we have goals, we have insurance, we have all these people that we obviously need to take data. And I do believe in taking data, but I think sometimes we feel so stressed about, okay, I have to see the student. I have to get these minutes in, um, that the, really the most important thing that we can do is build rapport with our student. And so when we do that, that can kind of allow us to see how is our student communicating now and and how can we help them increase their communication skills so that they can communicate not just with the speech therapist in the speech therapy office, but with everybody in their environment. Yeah, because that's what we want. Mm -hmm. I always say we don't want, great, you're doing great in this little room, but when you leave, everything falls apart. So that is such an important reminder. And I'm just curious too, because I talk to people quite often that say, oh, I'd love to go back to school, but oh, the thought of that, the thought of that. And not, and after as anybody who's completed an SLP program, you know, it's just, it seems like the hoops never end. And I know the BCBA program is just as much, if not more. How did you feel? How did you get motivated to do that all over again? I am super driven, I guess you could say, and very type A. So when I kind of decide I'm going to do something, I'm like 110% into it. Um, I think the fact that I did not have my own children helped when I, you know, when I got my BCBA because I didn't have all these distractors. Let me think, was I single? No, I was married, but no kids. So that definitely helped. I didn't have a whole lot of family responsibilities. And when I got my BCBA, it's kind of ebbed and flowed, but I was able to take um, graduate coursework. I was able to work along with somebody who was my supervisor, somebody who already had their BCBA. And then I was working in a job at the time down in Austin, Texas called Autism Facilitator and Support Specialist, because you need to get all these hours that you're logging using applied behavior analysis in your work setting. And then you meet with a supervisor and then you have to take another really wicked test, kind of like, you know, the SLP one. So that part was scary um, because the BCBA exam is known to be really, really tricky, Um, but I did pass the first time because, you know, that's the SLP BCBA in me. I had a study schedule. (laughs) I was organized. I stuck to it. um, And I made it happen. So I was just very, very driven. And that's just kind of my personality. And I love just being able to help in such a specific way. I think that's what's nice about being an SLP BCBA with so many students getting, you know, private ABA services is that sometimes it's nice when the speech therapist feels comfortable working with the BCBA. And now with my platform at ABA Speech, you know, not every speech therapist is going to, you know, use, say that they use ABA and some maybe say the opposite, but I like to build that bridge between SLPs and BCBAs because that really, that collaborative piece is really going to help our clients. So, you know, I, I talk about collaboration a lot, but that's really what's most important for our students is we don't have to say, you know, I believe everything that this person is doing or everything is perfect in this therapy session. Um, but we need to hear each other and have that ongoing communication because we know that our main goal is that our student is going to increase their communication skills and become an independent communicator. And so I think that's really, really important to keep in mind. We'll be right back to our interview. We just want to take a brief moment to shout out the company that makes this show possible, Med Travelers. If you are a therapist interested in traveling, visit medtravelers.com to explore the amazing benefits that Med Travelers has to offer. 
featuring short and long-term contract opportunities at leading facilities across the country with higher earning potential, W-2 employee status, and a flexible schedule, Med Travelers is your advocate for career success. Visit medtravelers.com to begin your travel adventure today. And now back to the show. Yeah, and that bridge of where many hands make light work. And I feel like sometimes if we all take a little piece of the puzzle, then we can, we can, again, the goal is to support these students at the end of the day. And so I agree, there's, everybody brings something valuable to the table. And so I love the way you refer to that as the bridge, because it really does seem like that in many ways. And, yeah. and I know you worked, you do some work in the public schools, but you do also have a private practice. And tell us a little bit about your private practice and I what you specialize in and some of your clients. Sure. Yeah. So we have a private practice at ABA Speech and we're just really excited. It's just been growing over the past couple of years. I started ABA Speech about, it's going to be four in August. Um, it's just whipped on by. And um, so we really specialize in providing specialized teletherapy services. And so I'm excited because we are launching these teletherapy services in about 10 different states and abroad, depending on your country. Every single country is different with their licensure laws, but it's, it's people people who are either SLP BCBAs or people who are SLPs, PhDs that have specialized in things like AAC um, and things of that nature. And so we are offering those specialized services with a focus on helping autistic students and being that piece on the team. Sometimes it's hard for everybody to work collaboratively together. And so we want to be able to offer those specialized services um, to people. And so we're really excited to be able to do that. And, you know, it all came out of a need, Jennifer. I would do a lot of these. I get a lot just because of my social media presence. I get a lot of people contacting me like, oh, you know, I really need speech therapy or I really want my um, son or daughter to work with a speech therapist who um, specializes in helping autistic students. And do you offer services in all the states that I'm not licensed in. I'm personally only licensed in Ohio and Washington state. And so I just felt bad saying no all the time. And I thought, gosh, this seems like really, there's a need out there that people really want this, especially with COVID and a lot of speech therapists feeling very more comfortable with teletherapy. And then also parents feeling like, okay, this is another way to get instruction. And, it, and it's a good way to get instruction for some students, depends on the student. Um, and so, you know, I just put my um, thinking together with how could we assemble this? I'm calling it the dream team of SLPs um, who are ready to help. And we're just really excited to be able to launch those efforts. And I really love just being able to connect. We offer teletherapy, but I also do a lot of, my company's an ASHA approved CE provider. So I do a lot of PD on how to help students, usually students who are nonverbal, start communicating, increase their communication skills. And then from that, I do a lot of consultations with people who are speech therapists, people who are BCBAs, um, who are working with autistic students and just ways to help their students. And so it's kind of nice, um, almost like a mentorship or coaching um, that we provide too. And I, I really love being able to help people in that capacity. Wow. It sounds like you've got big, big, big plans for this. And <laughs> I think this will be incredible when, not if, when this all comes to be, because yeah. I think you're exactly right. You all have a, a lot of this specialized skill that 
is very much needed. And I think there's definitely, I know hearing you talk about this, that's an area that I feel like, wow, I don't feel like I got a lot of experience in that. And it's, I think it's an area that a lot of people can feel really intimidated about Mm-hmm. if you don't have those skills and knowledge. Yeah, that's the thing. And that's the reason I, I have this five-hour ASHA proof course called Help Me Find My Voice. And the whole reason I started it is because I know that there's a lot of speech therapists who may never have worked with a student who is nonverbal, let alone a student who might engage in problem behavior. And that's really all I've been doing the past 20 years. So, I mean, I know that when I first started as a speech therapist and started working with autistic students, there were definitely students who... I was nervous to see because I didn't know how they were going to act. I didn't know if they were going to like the therapy activities that I had planned or if I'm just going to try to keep them engaged and on task and not engaging in problem behavior. And it just made me feel really defeated because I remember when I first started working in a non-public program, I went to my boss and I said, like, how can I help this student? I had an outpatient that was coming in and he just you know, really wasn't making a lot of progress. And my supervisor really didn't have a lot of hard answers. Like, I want to know, like, is there a course I can take? Is there a book I can read? This is almost 20 years ago. And, you know, there just wasn't a lot of information out there. So that's the thing. Like, we just launched our course again um, at the beginning of April, and we had over 100 people join. And I love that because I love being able to take help people go from feeling overwhelmed and how to help a student that may present with those language um, and behavioral needs to feeling confident. Um, Because the other thing, Jennifer, is that oftentimes when you're working with a student who has more complex needs like this, the team in which you're working is very large. So there might be a school therapist, an outside therapist, a BCBA helping, parents. There's sometimes advocates. If it's contentious, there's lawyers involved. And so that can be really hard. But my whole career has been that. My whole career has been sitting at the table with 20 people, eyeballing my goals, asking why I'm working on them, um, and then wanting a really good explanation. So 23-year-old me was very nervous about that. um, But 42-year-old me is really excited to impart that wisdom (laughs) that I've taken taken over the past 20 years and share it with others. So I I'm sweating a little bit thinking about that 23 year old. I'm, I'm thinking yes. now I, I would be, yeah. and, and it's interesting because I'm also thinking back to the handful of nonverbal students that I work with and feeling like, Oh gosh, you know, I knew right away within a year or two that I was not the appropriate person. I did mm-hmm. not have the resources I need and the information I needed to best serve them. And so right. when I think back, it's like, oh, that was a that was a bust. Yeah. Um, but I also remember feeling a different kind of pressure that perhaps was put on myself by myself of feeling like I don't want to let these parents down. You know, all they want is some form of communication. Mm-hmm. Of course most of them, their first choices verbally right? In, in my experience, but it just felt like an added layer of, of stress and pressure because if it's, oh, we're working on some articulation, well, they've got this communication in place. We just need to fine tune it versus we're starting from scratch. Exactly. Exactly. And it's just, it's a major responsibility that we have. And I think sometimes, and you know, now we were kind of, before we started recording, we were talking about Instagram and, you know, I'm 
I'm all in on social media, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, you name it, I'm on there. Um, But I think that sometimes it's overload. Like we're getting so many different people saying so many different things that as a therapist, it can be hard to know what is the right thing for me? What is the right thing for my students? And and I really just tell people, you know, you have to kind of look and see, obviously you want your strategies to be evidence-based and and just taking data on those things to analyze how is this helping my student? You know, like you said, I've had, I remember when I was goal setting and it was probably my second year as a speech therapist, maybe third, I was working in a, a public school program that was just for students with autism. And I remember, I don't know why, but I got into setting these yes, no goals for students. And that's actually such a complex language skill, but I I didn't know that at the time. And so then I'm strapped with these yes, no goals. And it really just made me analyze, like, is this a good goal? Is this helping my student? Are they increasing their communication skills? And I determined no. So I haven't set those goals really for many students, unless it's something that the team wants. But I think we just have to kind of, to learn that way. And then it's just kind of, sometimes it can be sensory overload with all the different information that we're getting out there. So I would say, you know, you just need to determine what's best for your student, um, do the research, and then just take data on those things and analyze, is my student increasing their spontaneous communication by me doing these things in therapy? And if the answer is no, then I would, you know, reach out and try to find other ways to help. Yeah. It's like data on the data. So it's like, (laughs) I'm going to keep data based on what they're, what I'm doing and making changes based on what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So it's just, but it's a, it's a great reminder as well that because it's, there are so many resources and it's, but that doesn't mean it's a one size fits all and that we have to take exactly what that is and apply it to exactly what Mm -hmm. we're doing. I think it's just a great reminder that you can take bits and pieces and then still need to figure out if that's going to work for your specific student. Um, you know, piece of cake. (laughs) Yeah. Easy breezy. (laughs) We're done here. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, Oh, lifelong Um, learners. We are as SLPs, right? Oh, never ends. That's why we work with so many new grads and, I try to let them know you're never going to have it all figured out. I hate to tell you, you're right. never going to get to the, this one day where you're like, I got it. I got it all. I, I said that just that day will never come. And I mean, I think that's an exciting thing about this field is that if you like to learn, you'll always have an opportunity to do that. So absolutely. And I think we're just lifelong learners. And I think, you know, when you know better, you'll do better. 100%. And that's just like, we both have those experiences. Everybody does in the field. And I think that we're just growing as a profession and things are always changing because research comes out and you adapt that to your, to your clients. And if you think about that, some of the things that we did 20 years ago, we know some of those things aren't supported by research and people don't do them anymore. So I think we just have to kind of grow and adapt and try to stay that's what's nice about podcasts and just little things like this, where you can like learn kind of on the go, um, because there's so many more options to, to take in information these days. Exactly. We're evolving. Yes. (laughs) Always every day. (laughs) And I'm interested too, about going back to the, uh, that concept of bridging. How do you bridge that gap between your work in the public schools and the clinic setting is, I mean, I know there are, you're, you're probably serving similar populations mm-hmm. or. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, in the public school, I just see everybody, you know everybody. what I mean? And okay. so in a public school, I work three days a week. Um, this year has been nice because two days are in person. Then one day has been virtual. So I've been lucky that my school district did go back. I think that's really just been easiest, um, 
even on me, even though it really wasn't because I'm very type A. And so I get into this flow of how I like to do things. And then, you know, we can't use materials the same way. Nobody can touch anything. It's very different. I can't see students in my office, although I don't see a lot of students that way, but it's just made things more difficult. But I do love that because my one day has been virtual. So then I've really been brushing up on teletherapy and all those different types of things. Um, And then as far as my private practice, I see all different types of students. I tend to see younger students. So at at the school district, I see middle school, high school students. And I really love that population. It's very functional. Mm -hmm. You can use the curriculum and vocational opportunities. They're all embedded throughout the student's day. So you don't need a lot of stuff, which I'm a big fan of. And then when in my private practice, I tend to see younger students. And so I see some students here in Northeast Ohio. I will see, you know, if you live in my town, I will see you privately. Um, And then I do some teletherapy too. But um, that's kind of fun for me because I like to, that's kind of why, you know, like when you get into speech therapy, at least when I did, I'm all about, okay, this is a thematic lesson. And I'm inspired by some of my friends on Instagram. And I can do this whole lesson on, you know, ice cream and have them listen Doug toy. And then I can do the Pete the Cat book and we can work on our sounds. And that's kind of the young speech therapist in me that's still really kind of likes those kind of things too. So I think it's just that variety um, yeah. that I enjoy. But then we also serve students who are working on just speech sounds for, you know, across the spectrum of students who are nonverbal and um, not yet communicating. So it just kind of that variety is nice to be able to help people in that way. Yeah. And I think it also decreases just feeling less burned out and stagnant is yeah. that you're seeing different ages and different settings and through different mediums. I mean, you really do have a a great variety of, <laughs> of in everything that you're doing professionally, which probably just helps keep you fresh and excited about what you're doing. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I really do love it. And yeah, once I started ABA Speech 2, that's been really cool. Like I have a podcast of my own called Autism Outreach. That's been a whole thing, learning how to do that and, you know, being able to collaborate with people and having people on my podcast. That's really, really fun. Um, Offering courses. And sometimes I've, you know, collaborate with other speech therapists to put on different ASHA approved courses. And so I'm really just a people person. I remember I went to shadow my sister. Um, She's an accountant. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, (laughs) that clock is going very slow. Tick, tick, tick. And I just thought I need to be around people. So this whole thing is really great for me. I like connecting and networking with other professionals. um, And that's been really, really fun and definitely keeps me busy. (laughs) It makes me feel better to hear you say that about, I'm back in school and I took an accounting class and I remember saying, I don't understand how anybody can do this for a living. I know. <laughs> Just because I, I, I almost said it in a way that I'm envious of that mindset that could do that because I was thinking I could not, well, there's many reasons that would not be a good fit for me, but, uh, back to the math thing that you mentioned right. and you know, not being with people, but so I want to also touch on, you specialize in autism and, um, I know that you mentioned kind of what started you going down that road, but did you feel right away, I know I want to do this. This is exactly what I want to do. Or did it just, was it one of those things that just kept turning up, kept coming back, kept coming back. And finally you said, okay, universe, I'm going to specialize in this. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think my CFY year or maybe the year after I started doing some PRN work, in a nursing home. And then I also had the opportunity to do some speech therapy in somebody's home. 
um, in home program, we would call it. So this, these particular students were getting some ABA type services. So they're having people come to their house to help support all different types of things from just life skills types of things, academic types of things. And then I was a speech therapist kind of in the mix. Um, and I just really loved it. I love learning and collaborating with everybody and seeing how much growth the students were, um, you know, making. And I just knew that was it for me. I mean, I think it was probably one of my first years in the field. And then I took a position, I think it was my second year as a speech therapist in a non-public program. Uh, and then that was it. I would say, oh, I'd say 19 years ago. And then I've just specialized in this. And I just, um, I really love being able to help students who historically are hard to help. <laughs> I like to be the one that says, okay, where are we at? What's going on? And how can I help? And I think that with my experience in a public school and also my experience working in non-public programs, I, I've always worked. So when I say non-public programs, it's usually for students who have unsafe or problem behavior that allows them to be in this non-public program as their least restrictive environment, um, that they could not be or they are not educated appropriately in a public school. And so I've always split my time between those two types of programs programs until my own business got too busy. Um, and so I think having that insight into, okay, well, this is how this works in a public school. These are the, the players. This is how I can support students. This is how a non-public program um, works. And this is how a speech therapist can be instrumental on the team in this program. And they're very, very different. And I think if you haven't been in the trenches and you haven't walked the walk and you don't know all the nuanced things that are taking place, it's hard to know. It's hard to know um, how you can be impactful in each setting until you've actually done it. Well, this is kind of the dream scenario where, and I know a lot of this field is so vast. And I think that's an area where people get caught up where they think, well, what, well, what am I going to specialize in? I want to find something that's, that suits me that, and for you to find that so early in your career and still feel so passionate about it and not only feel so passionate, but continue to contribute in so many of the ways you just mentioned, that's, I think that's pretty remarkable and I, I do want to touch on as well, because I know that you create a lot of resources and provide some free things for families and other professionals. What are some of the resources that you like and are your favorites for doing teletherapy in particular with this population? Because I think that's where it's a lot of people were thrust into that and did not <laughs> like, I didn't, right. well, I didn't sign up to be a teletherapist, but I think a lot of people now have realized, Oh, I really like this. However, there's still those populations where, and all of them that you work with that are mm -hmm. probably what most people would think would be the most challenging to yeah. do teletherapy with. So I'd love to know what are some of your favorite resources and what do you utilize to feel successful and to help the, the kids. Yeah, absolutely. I know. I had no idea really what teletherapy was until I remember one of, I think it was speech therapy PD. They put on a, a workshop about teletherapy. And I remember there were like 7,000 people on that workshop. It was, it was like, wow, this is really like a movement, right? We want to know how to help our students. And I was, we were all kind of just thrust into it. I really love Epic books, Epic books. I think if you work in a school, you can get a free membership but 
that is a really great resource because they have different sections. They have a read to me section. So it will actually read the text to you. I've used it with students with autism, but I've used it with all different types of students. I've used it with students. I had these two brothers I was seeing in my private practice and they were just working on R uh, because they didn't qualify for services in a public school. So I was helping them privately and they had books that were at their grade level. And we just worked on generalizing um, or used it as reinforcement, like a, a break time from therapy too. So I love that. Um, boom cards. I didn't know what boom cards were, um, but I have a, a small TPT store and boom uh, learning store. And so we started creating uh, products for that just to have real life pictures that are about conversation skills and all those different types of things. Sometimes those can be hard to translate to teletherapy. And so I love boom cards because you can get a lot of good freebies on there. And there's just a lot of good resources that are really interactive. Even if your student doesn't have mouse control and you're doing it over teletherapy, there's just a lot of really fun things um, that you can do with that. And then the other one that I was using just um, last week with one of my preschool students was Jack Hartman. I don't know if you've ever heard of Jack Hartman, but he has a YouTube channel. No. Okay. This was like, prior to Go Noodle, but this guy is just an older guy. He sings these really cool animated songs and he has the cutest one um, for springtime. And so my students really just love it. So we'll, we'll listen to that. We'll do that for kind of a movement break. Um, and those are some of my favorite things. If I'm working with students that are older, another resource I really love is called News ELA. Yeah. And do you know that one? Yeah. And so it has really amazing articles. Like I did one the other day. It was all about bees in New Mexico. There were 15,000 bees on this guy's car. So we read the article, my students working on saying multisyllabic words. So I highlight them. Then we read it together. We go over comprehension questions, but then I'm on, I said I was on TikTok, which is this like kind of new app. And so there, I know I follow this lady from Austin, Texas, who is the bee lady and she has millions of followers. And so I was able to pull up a TikTok on it was on YouTube. And we were able to watch this lady who also saves the bees. So I like to be able to integrate those types of things when I'm working with older students, because I know a lot of my students might be on TikTok or somebody in their family might be seeing it and trying to just kind of stay relevant so that they're interested. Um, And TikToks, the most they can be is one minute. So it's like just a little Mm -hmm. burst of energy. Um, And, but it's a really nice supplement to the lesson. And I love video too. So those types of resources are nice to kind of integrate um, for teletherapy or face-to-face. Yeah. I also love Epic. And just going back to what you said about, I think the more ways we can, here it is in written form. Here's a backup video. Here's something in real life. It's that's how we learn is just that repetition and having it in, in different environments and, and presented different ways. And that's one of the things I like about Epic too. Those Epic books is that sometimes I'll do a book on something and then they have those videos clips. Right. So like I had a student was obsessed with dogs. So we were able to read about dogs and then they had a clip about how to train your dog. And I love that you can pause it and ask those questions along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to have to look up Jack Hartman and um, <laughs> yes. I love the idea of incorporating TikTok. Also my own children, <laughs> Love TikTok very yes. much. And it is fun to, I mean, some of them, it's, it is. You have it's to filter. Very, it's very fun. <laughs> yes, you definitely have to filter and view before. Yeah. Um, but they're, it's very relevant. And yes. a lot of businesses, just businesses that we know and Major League Baseball teams, San Diego Zoo. I yeah. mean, these are places that all have a TikTok. They have millions and millions of followers and they're just putting out educational content. Mm-hmm. So obviously view it before, but it's really cool to kind of incorporate into your lesson. Yeah, some very creative people out there. I'm always like, how do they think about that? That's so funny. And it's just clever. (laughs) 
And so how do you, I'm assuming that the parents or the school staff, whomever's with the student on the other end during teletherapy is an important part of this, depending on their age and skill level. What are some things you do to incorporate that person into therapy sessions? Yeah, definitely depends on the person and the student's, you know, language level. But I have some parents who are right there who are helping in the moment to help the student with anything that they may need help with on their end. Um, I have some students who I see and they're able just to log on with a session and they're with me. The parent might be in the background also working or grandma and grandpa. Um, Over teletherapy, I definitely have met a lot of, especially during COVID, you know, siblings, grandparents. Um, So for me, especially for as a school-based therapist, it's been kind of nice because I've been able to see parents more, parents that maybe I only see at an IP meeting, or really that might be it. Um, I've been able to see weekly based on the students' needs and if they're doing remote services and things like that. And then in my private practice, it really just depends on the student. I have some students that log on completely independently. And then I have other students who parent coaching is a major part of the session because the student is younger. Maybe they are, we're working directly with them for a shorter amount of time due to their young age. Um, their attention span, task duration, things like that. And then it becomes all about supporting the the parent and answering questions, offering support in that way. Uh, And that's what's really been nice about the teletherapy we're offering at ABA Speech, that we just have ongoing communication where we have a running document and we talk about, you know, how can we goal set? What, What are you working on in the home environment? How can we give you one tip and strategy that you can implement? Because I have three kids of my own, so I know that you know, it's hard to do it all. It's hard to read the 20 minutes a day. It's hard to get to soccer practice and put my daughter plays the harp and all the things that you need to do. So I don't like to overwhelm parents, but I do want to have little strategies or little tips that will make an impact in their students' overall communication and being able to help that way. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. And it, a couple of things you said too, where I think that has been such a nice... <sighs> something that's come out of so much teletherapy being done is that it almost has removed some of the mystery of what we did and allows the parents or facilitator, whomever's with the student to see what it is, because oftentimes we would come and get them and take them and, and do our magic and then re and then they'd leave. And it's like, I had one uh, para, she said, this has been so interesting because I didn't ever know what you all did. And um, then my favorite part of the conversation was when she said, this seems really fun. Did you have to get a certificate to do this job? <laughs> I was like, oh boy, let yes. me tell you. <laughs> let me tell you. But, yeah, so, I mean, I think, but it has been nice because just for the carryover and those mm-hmm. things where they say, oh, I'm seeing what you're doing, how you're doing it. So then they can have some of that consistency when, when you're not there. Because like you mentioned before, the goal is that eventually... They don't need us to do it, and Mm -hmm. they can do this in multiple settings. Exactly. Yes, I think that that just showing you this is what, because it's one thing to write a really specific progress note for a student in a school-based setting, and then it's another thing to have the parent actually see what therapy looks like. I think that can be really scary for therapists, too, on, on the flip side. But I think that the positive, we just have to try to remain positive and say, like, this is really great. This is perfect for generalization. This is great for them to know exactly what happens in therapy. Um, yeah. And we don't want what happens in the therapy room to stay in the therapy room. We want to be able to share that and model for other people on the team. So that's great to get that feedback. 
like opposite from the Las Vegas slogan. Yes, you know, it's exactly. Like, what I love that. What happens in the therapy room does not stay in the therapy mm-hmm. room. We did we renew our, our 10-year vows in uh, Las Vegas <laughs> with the Elvis impersonator. So, oh, yeah. So it's, it's a fan favorite. I was going to say, you go. You can your next bumper sticker, t-shirt. <laughs> there you go. Um, and I think I would love to have you give some insight because you do have this specialized training in speech and behavior. And most of the listeners for our podcast are SLPs. Probably if some are also a dual, but you said mm-hmm. they have, what, 400 total? So 450, yeah. Probably not that many. Um, how do you incorporate behavior... So- into your sessions, mm-hmm. um, whether they're it's on-site or virtual. And a follow-up too to that is, do you have, would the, that be a good place for people to go to that ABA speech site mm-hmm. and to get some of those CEU courses and things? Would that be a, a great place for resources as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the way that I incorporate kind of both my certifications is uh, just just kind of thinking about language using a behavioral lens. So just kind of having my detective hat on and seeing how is my student currently communicating? How can I help them systematically with my intervention? Know that I want to help them increase their communication skills and every student is going to be on a different communication journey. And so I think just, a you know, helping them in a very systematic way. So working on things in a certain way, working on certain skills in a certain way, a lot of data involved, <laughs> data that I've always, I'm always refining. I think every year on my blog, I like say, okay, this is what I'm doing for data. Um, I just did a training on my YouTube about, you know, using Google forms to take data. There's always different ways. I'm always trying to analyze my workflows and how to streamline them because that's a huge part of being a speech therapist just just being efficient and making sure that the data that we take, that we're analyzing it to make treatment decisions. I think those are some of the most important things um, that we can do. And yes, at ababaspeech.org, we have a lot of different courses. um, And the one course that is our biggest course is called Help Me Find My Voice. It's a five-hour course. And it's all about how to help students who are either nonverbal or are emerging communicators. So what do we start on in therapy? Because I think there's just a lot of confusion and, and overwhelm about, okay, this student needs, you know, maybe they didn't get a standardized score on the assessment or they won't even sit for any type of assessment. So I don't even know where to begin with this student. So we talk about, you know, how do we begin? How do we help a student find a way to communicate with the world? Or how do we help a student who maybe is hesitant to engage in therapy? How do we help them engage in therapy and think that therapy is fun and functional? Um, and we're all back to having a great time in therapy because that's sometimes not the case Um, for students that you're seeing. And so, yes, we offer a lot of resources that speak just to that. I mean, just what you said, where do we begin? That would have been music to my (laughs) (laughs) newly graduated ears Mm -hmm. because I think that's where it's like, oh, you don't want to, if you just had a good starting off point, Mm -hmm. it just makes everything else so much better. It's just sometimes is not even knowing what that is and to have that expert voice. So yes. Okay. So AB speech, and then it's, um, obvious where they can find those courses. Yeah. Yeah. Help me find my voice is our autism course. And I actually had, um, somebody who was a CFY. She emailed me, 
um, and has a, a shared a review on my website. Her name's Angie, but she said, you know, I'm working in a public, a non-public program with students who have behavioral challenges, you know, and she said, I'm, I was honestly just doubting, like even being a speech therapist because mm-hmm. I it was not enjoying it. And she said, your course has given me hope. And I thought, oh, well, that makes everything worth it, you know, um, because sometimes in the online space, you, some days you feel like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And I'm helping so many people. And then other days you're like, hello, is this thing on? Is anybody listening to my message? Am I helping anybody? Um, So those kind of reviews are really, really helpful. And yes, it is absolutely what I would have wanted as a CFY or just Mm -hmm. anybody new to working with autistic students or anybody new to working with students who have uh, behavioral barriers that are, you know, a barrier to their instruction and their, their therapy. Yeah. Not even new. I'm thinking too, because mm-hmm. how many times as school SLPs, your caseload changes mm-hmm. sometimes every year or a new student comes in or, right. and so it's definitely something where even if you're not accustomed to working with a certain population, doesn't mean mm-hmm. you aren't going to get a student right. that requires those skills at any given time. So I think that's, I would have loved that and still would if I worked with that population. And another resource that I want to touch on too is, and you mentioned it earlier, is your podcast, your autism outreach podcast. And who, who should listen to this, to your podcast? Um, What kinds of guests would you have? What kind of information could somebody go there to get? Yeah, it's, it's been so fun. We just started in January and it's all about autism and communication. So we have a lot of speech therapists who are listeners. We have a lot of people who are teachers, BCBAs, parents who are listening. So anybody who either is helping somebody who's autistic support their communication, or if you have a loved one who is, um, autistic, it's very helpful. So we've had people on that are um, autistic. We've had autistic individuals on. We've had speech therapists as guests. We've had BCBAs as guests and parents. We have a couple episodes coming um, with parents because, you know, I think as a provider in a public school, you know, you have a certain relationship with parents, but it's very, you know, limited in what you can really ask parents. Like, are you happy with services? You know, like you can never really tell what a parent, at least for me, um, in a public school is really thinking. Um, I, I just feel there's a lot of barriers, just kind of the essence of the environment. Um, you don't see that as much in private because you can kind of talk with people and it's different. And so I think this is maybe just my own thing. Um, but I have a lot of parents that are on. Um, we have one parent that's coming up and her name's Kelsey General, and she is a single mom to two boys. They both have autism. Um, she lives in Canada and she was homeschooling them during COVID. And, um, just one of the, um, one of the children engages in a lot of unsafe problem behavior and just her journey into, you know, not getting the service that she needed for her children, um, how they're doing and how they're working on communication, uh, has it really just inspiring. And so I think that that, I always get inspired by hearing other people's journeys. Um, and so I want to be able to have a platform where we can share from professionals, but we can also share the parent journey too, because when we talk about team, 
I mean, parents are super important on the team as are autistic individuals. We just had somebody on who is autistic. He's a social worker. Um, he lives in my area. So we shared, um, we were on an autism planning committee together and it was just really cool to talk to him about autism, talk to him about his journey in communication and how he's helping autistic individuals during this time with COVID. He had started like a social skills group that was online. Um, and so just anybody who is interested in autism and communication, it's great. And we have a new podcast that comes out every Tuesday. Well, I love that. And I am definitely going to tune in because I think the parent is such an important member of the team and we sometimes forget. Mm-hmm. And that's who's with our students all the time that we're not. Right. And so I think it's important to always go back to what life is really like and what is what we're doing making the most difference because they're going to be the best reporter of anybody. So I love that you include that and just the individuals themselves because we can think all we want that, oh, I think this is really effective. I think this is really great. But if they themselves don't feel that, Mm -hmm. then why are we doing what we're doing? So I love that you are branching out to those groups. Uh, yeah. And, and speaking of communication, I have a, a dog friend here that's also very much wanting to communicate with us. So I apologize. For no that. worries. They want to take part. My kids are all at school. So I'm like, you know, shut that door. But no, I hear you. No worries. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, you've accomplished so much. Um, and I want everybody to go to ABA speech, check out your website, the resources, the you very unique uh, continuing education courses you offer that I don't think that those are not easy to come by in some of those topics. So I love that you're doing that. Your autism outreach podcast. What is next for you after accomplishing all that you've accomplished? Uh, what's, what's next in line? Well, we're really excited to be able to offer our teletherapy services in 11 states and abroad. That's something that's new for us. And the other thing that I haven't really even mentioned to anybody yet is that we're going to be launching an autism mastermind that is for professionals only. So it's kind of in the uh, beta testing phase now, Mm -hmm. but I do a lot of professional consultations with people who are speech therapists, people who are BCBAs, all about communication and kind of this nuanced way of working in either public programs or non-public programs. And so I'm going to be off offering a group coaching program that's going to be an autism mastermind. And so it will be me who's facilitating it. And it'll just be a a time where people would pay a monthly membership fee and they, I would have an office hours every single week and people could just drop in when they have a question and and I could um, share with them how I would troubleshoot those different things. So that's something that I'm really excited about because I like to be able to, all this experience that I've had in, in both of these settings, I like to be able to help people navigate those settings themselves too. And, and I think it's nice um, to have somebody to to use as a sounding board. Somebody Sometimes it's somebody that just wants to run something by me or say like, how would you do that? Or was this helpful? Or what's a resource for this? And so I'm excited to be able to offer that pretty soon. I love that. Because how many times have we thought, I want to, I be, or I, that's what I usually go to my friends from grad school, help, but everybody's busy. And so you always right. want, you don't want to feel like you're taking up a lot of somebody's time and mm-hmm. you get to a certain point where you think, oh, I don't, I it's hard to find a supervisor or mentor, but this is basically a, a great coaching mentorship program where they can learn from an expert who's been doing, who's devoted their lives to this field. So 
I think that's incredible. And will that information be on your website for people to check in about when that's yes, going to be available? coming soon. Yeah, abspeech.org. Okay. You can always visit me at the website too. We'll start a wait list pretty soon. Um, I don't right. know when this is going to air, but we'll have a wait list soon. And so people can learn more information about it that way. And it's going to launch um, in probably June. So getting close. Well, Rose, I am so glad that you are the go-getter that you are because you've done so many really great things that have been nothing but a benefit to this profession and the the children you work with. So thank you for having that personality <laughs> type. Um, but I, we will definitely too be putting all this information about how people can find you and all of your information in the show notes as well, if people um, missed it, it, hearing it verbally, but I thank you so much for your time and um, sharing your story and your expertise. It's really been informative. Thanks so much, Jennifer. It was great to be on. And that wraps up this episode. Thank you for tuning into SLP Full Disclosure. For more information about this episode, check out the show notes on our website at medtravelers.com slash SLP Full Disclosure. And don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss a guest. Are you interested in becoming a travel SLP? Visit medtravelers.com to learn more and explore the exciting opportunities we offer at top level facilities across the country. Also, a special thanks to Jonathan Carey for producing this episode and Aiden Dykes for the music and editing. And as always, this episode was powered by Med Travelers. See you next time.